Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. Last week, so not taking any chances on being embarrassed themselves. 
But nevertheless, Jesus takes the man, heals him, sends him on his way. And then he looks at the Pharisees and he asks them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Right, just as he did last week, Jesus meets the Pharisees on their own turf. Uh, and he shows them their inconsistency. And so let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that the Pharisees' traditions about the Sabbath are active. And there is no physical activity at all that is allowed on the Sabbath day. Well, even then, the Pharisees left room for exceptional situations. Right, Jesus points out that if one of their children or one of their animals fell into a well, which represents any kind of perilous situation, they wouldn't even have to think about it. They would do whatever they needed to do in order to rescue them, even if that meant working. As we saw back in chapter 6, the Sabbath was instituted as a gift to God's people. It was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to, to give relief from burdens, not to become a burden in itself. And so when a legitimate need conflicts with resting, doing what needs to be done in order to help somebody, is more in line with the purpose of the Sabbath than not doing anything. And so here is this man who's been dealing with a severe health issue for who knows how long. Jesus says, why on earth would it not be appropriate to give this man relief from the burden of his suffering? <coughs> in verse eight, we see, or in verse six, we see that again the Pharisees are silent. But this time, Luke says that it's because they could not reply to Jesus. There's nothing for them to say because you couldn't argue with his logic. Right? They either have to, to admit that he's right for healing on the Sabbath, or they have to admit that they are inconsistent in their own observance of the Sabbath. And they're not going to do either of those. And yet, despite Jesus' superior wisdom, there's absolutely no indication that the Pharisees revisit their opposition to him. But as we move on, Jesus is going to give the people who are in attendance here, a lesson on humility. We'll see beginning in verse 7. It says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by them. He who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person and you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a bed, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So things at this banquet have started off quickly, <coughs> but apparently Jesus healing the man with prophecy hasn't derail things uh, entirely. But as everyone transitions to the meal in verse 7, Jesus takes the opportunity to address everyone else who's at attendance at this banquet, as he notices that they're all clamoring to sit in the places of honor. 
seen in ancient Middle Eastern culture at a social event, people were seated based on their social standing. And so the most important people, those who were deemed the most important, would sit over here at the head of the table right next to the host. And then everybody would work their way down the rest of the table until you got to the, the least important person who sat at the other end of the table. And so all the guests at this banquet are trying to establish their social standing by choosing the best seats at the table. But Jesus warns them with his proverbial wisdom. He says, when you're invited to a feast, don't sit in a spot of honor. Because if someone who is more important than you shows up, then the host is going to have to come, and he's going to have to bump you down right in front of everybody. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be to sit at the table, and then the host come over and tap you on the shoulder and say, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to need you to move down a couple of seats so that this guy can sit here. Actually, more important. It feels awkward just thinking about that. But instead, Jesus tells the people to sit in the lowest spot. That way, worst case scenario, you break even and, and you're no worse off. But more likely, the host will honor you in front of everybody and move you up closer to the head of the table. But hey, what are you doing way down there? Come up here closer to the front. Now, we should understand that Jesus' primary concern here. It's not about how we act at a banquet, right? The seating chart is really just an illustration of a much larger issue. And the point is that we should pursue humility in our lives as a whole. Right? Humble people do not seek places of honor for themselves. In other words, as disciples, we shouldn't be preoccupied with our, our public image or be concerned about other people thinking that we are important Self-importance is a, is a dangerous trap. It's very easy to fall into. Human pride and self-promotion are, are characteristics that, that the Lord absolutely despises. The scriptures tell us that God opposes those who are proud. He gives grace to the humble. Of course, we've already seen that following Jesus faithfully isn't exactly a recipe for popularity anyway, because the world is never going to approve it. So we should just go ahead and embrace that truth and, and pursue a genuine humility, an appropriate humility that recognizes that we're not any more important than anybody else in this world. And that, that we don't seek to be thought of more highly than what we really are. You see, in the end, the only opinion that truly matters is what God thinks about us. Jesus says at, at the end of this paragraph, those who exalt themselves will be humbled by God. But those who humble themselves will be exalted by them. And in verse 12, Jesus addresses the Pharisee who invited him over. And he makes the same point from a different angle. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, this is another instance of Jesus using a certain measure of hyperbole. I don't think that he's saying that it is wrong party where your friends and family are in attendance, right? the issue comes down to why we do what we do. The point is highlighted in the text when Jesus talks about the idea of repayment. Right? So if you want to be thought of as important, then you're going to invite all the important people to come to your event so that everybody who's there will say, wow, this guy must be really important to have all of these people at his party. And then in return, they're going to invite you to their party so that your importance can rub off on their social standards. Like, 
easier. This person must be really cool. And so then you invite them back, and they invite you back, and it just becomes this vicious cycle of vanity. Instead, Jesus issues a challenge to put on banquets and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. People who aren't necessarily going to increase your social status, but who would genuinely appreciate and benefit from your generosity. If we do that, then we may not be on the next list of who's who in Southeast Texas, but Jesus promises that we will be protected by God's resurrection. As we saw in Jesus' teaching about money back in chapter 12, by using our resources to bless others who are in need and who don't have much to offer us in return, we exercise humility. And we, we store up for ourselves treasure in heaven, which will be far better any reward or status that we could enjoy in this life. Now, before we move on, I recognize that it's easy for us to feel a certain sense of detachment from this teaching because our modern society doesn't operate in quite the same way that they did in the first century. The practices of honor and shame. But I do think it's worth considering. In light of Jesus' concern for the poor and the downcast, do we make it a point to reach out to them? Who are struggling, those who may be a bit socially awkward, those who won't be found at the pool kids table. See, while, while the form may look different, the principle remains the same. And part of being Jesus' disciples involves being intentional about looking out for those that society overlooks. Doing favors not just for people who can turn around and do something for us in return. But for those who are, are struggling to make it week to week and who don't have anything to offer us in return, welcoming people who, again, won't raise the popularity bar for our social events, but who will greatly appreciate being included. He says, we pursue humility in our lives. We should remember that all people have been created in God's image, and everybody is equally valuable in His sight. And as God's people, whether the world recognizes it that way, God's perspective should be reflected in the way that we interact with others. In the beginning in verse 15, Jesus is going to reveal some difficult truth as this banquet comes to a most uncomfortable end. So we'll pick up again at the beginning in verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited him. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. The master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my anger. 
So in verse 15, another guest at this meal, perhaps trying to change the awkward subject of conversation. Uh, he speaks up and he pronounces a blessing on everyone who will feast in the kingdom of God. But in response, Jesus gives a parable to explain that not everybody is going to be at that man. That everyone that you might expect would be there. And in this parable, a man plans a great banquet and invites a lot of people. And while Jesus doesn't say it explicitly, it would be understood that a certain number of those people respond and, and, and indicate that they will be there. They'll come to the party. But then when the time comes for the banquet to begin, the servant goes around to call everyone to come to this rabbi. All these people begin to make excuses for why they're not coming to the banquet after all. So in the second half of verse 18, the first man says that he has purchased a field and needs to go look at it. So he can't come to the banquet. He asks to be excused. What do you think about that? In reality, you think about it, it's, it's highly unlikely that a man could actually purchase a field without looking at it beforehand to make sure that it's actually good for farmers. It's a foolish way to use your money, but, but even if he had done that, think about it this way, now that he owns the people, what difference does it make if he looks at it now or if he waits until the day after the bank? He could easily do that. Ultimately, this is a, a poor excuse to miss the bank. In verse 19, the second man says that he bought five yoke of oxen, meaning five pairs, so ten in total. And he needs to go examine them, so he can't come either. He asks to be excused. And again, it's, it's highly unlikely that someone would have spent the money necessary to buy that many oxen without inspecting them first. And again, if by some strange reason he did do that, now that he owns them, what difference does it make if he inspects them right this minute? Or he waits until the day after the banquet. Once again, this is a poor excuse. Then in verse 20, the servant comes to a third man. This man says that he's just gotten married, so he's busy. He's not going to come either. And as the many people have pointed out, this man doesn't even ask to be excused. He just informs the servant that he's not coming. And now all of these excuses are terrible. All, all of these people have, have made these commitments after knowing that they already had made a commitment for the day of this banquet. So this is insulting, and what it ultimately reveals is that for these people, this banquet, and really more this host, is simply not worth their time. And in response, the host is enraged. He has spent who knows how much time and money preparing for these people to be at this banquet. Now they're just not going to show up. It's insulting. But then the man has an idea. He commands his servant to go out into the streets and the lanes of the city and, and to bring in the, the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The very kinds of people that Jesus just referenced in the last section. You see, this banquet has been provided at great cost. And it's not going to go away. Somebody is going to enjoy this. And so in verse 22, the servant goes out and he does that. But there's still room for even more people. So then the master tells the servant to go out into the highways and the hedges outside of city limits. He says, when you see people, come tell them to come in. And so again, outside of city limits, this would have been the social outcasts, the people that nobody wanted to be around. And this would have been people who were diseased, prostitutes, Gentiles, 
and they would have a hard time believing that they were truly invited to a bank. This is why the, the host tells his servant to compel them to come in. You're invited to this banquet, and if you're not dressed for a party, you don't have time to wash up, maybe you don't have a gift to bring, but none of that matters. The banquet is ready. Come as you are. So the servant does this. Then in verse 24, we see that none of those who were originally invited will enjoy the banquet. There's a very subtle shift here that's, that's highly significant. See, the man in the parable has been speaking to his servant. Right? But the word you here in verse 24 is actually full. And what that indicates is that the parable is over at this point. And Jesus is now speaking to the people in this room about a banquet that he is preparing. And the point is that many of those who would have been expected to be at that banquet will not be. See, Jesus is warning that those who reject him are going to miss out on the heavenly banquet while other people come to enjoy. And of course, historically, we know that many of the social and religious elite among the Jews did decline Jesus' invitation. The gospel spread like wildfire among the poor and the Gentiles. And so in our passage this morning, Jesus takes the occasion of being at a banquet to point forward to, to the greater heavenly banquet that God is preparing for his people. Jesus is, is going to fulfill the words of Isaiah in, in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, when he looked forward to the last day and says, The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of merit, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice. Salvation. See, this is the real banquet that Jesus is referring to. And as we've said before, in his miracles and in his ministry, he is passing out appetizers. Right? The, the full meal isn't ready just yet. But, but here's, here's something to give you just a little taste. Here's something to tie you over until the time when, when the meal is prepared. Just, just to give you a, a preview of what God is cooking up for his people. By God's grace this morning, we have been invited to this banquet. And, and if we understood, if we had any idea of how amazing this banquet is going to be, then we would not allow anything to keep us from being The best news of all is that this banquet is freely available to us. We don't have to be rich or popular or even morally good to enjoy it. And that's because Jesus has granted us access through his life, death, and resurrection. And we will turn from our sin and turn to him in faith and trust in what he has done to save us, and he will make us acceptable to God. And then the inexhaustible goodness of heaven will be ours to enjoy with him forever. And so as we reflect on God's word this morning, we should ask the question, are you going 
to the bank? Have you responded to God's offer of salvation in the gospel? If so, then are you inviting others to come to the banquet with you? Are you living your life in such a way that, that compels other people to come to the banquet also? As we reflect on God's word for us this morning, may he bless you. 